0: Go ahead and pray with me. Father, I thank you so much for coming and meeting us in this place. I praise you because you are always faithful to do so. I ask that you speak to us, Lord, that you reveal just who you are and what you have for us today. I thank you that you love us and that you want to make yourself known to us. We ask that you bless this time for us, Lord, in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right, Psalm 16, verse seven through 11, join me. It says, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. "'Because you will not abandon me to the grave, "'nor will you let your Holy One see decay. "'You have made known to me the path of life. "'You will fill me with joy in your presence, "'with eternal pleasures at your right hand.'" This is the word of the Lord. All right. After God had brought his people out of Egypt, he took them on a journey, didn't he? And little did they know that this journey was gonna last them so long. But they started out and shortly thereafter, they found themselves at this mountain called Mount Sinai. And when they got to Mount Sinai, Moses went before the Lord and he said, what do I do? How do I lead your people? And God invited him to go up on the mountain and join him. He said, come up to see me. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to tell you how to lead these people. I'm going to tell you all the things that I want you to know so that you can honor me and have relationship with me. And so Moses, he traveled up the mountain and he was up there for 40 days and 40 nights and God inscribed on two stones the 10 commandments. And at the end of their time, God said, Moses, you need to hurry and go down the mountain because the people that you brought out, they have rebelled, and you need to go down to them immediately. And so Moses, he goes and he walks down the mountain and he finds himself at the foot and he sees from a distance his people that he helped bring out of Egypt with so much passion and so many things had happened and the Red Sea had parted and these plagues, and all of a sudden he sees that these people had forgotten who God was. They had already, in a short time, abandoned him. They rejected him. They had made for themselves, they had collected all of the gold and they had made a false god. They created a calf, a baby cow made out of gold. And they were there and they were worshiping it. And they were parting, and they were sinning and they were rebelling and their hearts had left God. And when Moses saw this, he he was grieved. He was grieved on behalf of this covenant that he had made with them, with God. And so he threw down these stone tablets and they broke. And he said, why? Why did you do this? And they said, we thought that you were gone, that God had abandoned us. So we created our own God. At that point, I think not only was Moses brokenhearted, I think God was brokenhearted. So they cleansed the camp. We won't get into all the, the details of how that happened or what that entailed, but then after it was done, Moses, he went into the tent of meeting and he, he begged God. He said, God, don't forget your people. You don't want the other nations to say that, that you abandoned them. You don't want people to think that you left them, that you aren't powerful enough, that you don't care about these people because you were the one that brought them up. You were the one that brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery. Don't abandon your people. And so God said, I will look past their sin. Moses, come up the mountain and see me. And so Moses, once again, he trekked up this mountain, and he was there for 40 days and 40 nights again. And this time, God did not inscribe with his own finger on the tablets, Moses chiseled out all of the words that were the covenant between God and his people. Thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, honor your father and mother, keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy, and so on and so forth. And as he was up there, God taught him. He got to experience his presence and his power and his majesty and he was in awe of a God that was miraculous and amazing and so much more than we are. And so Moses, after 40 days and 40 nights, he went and he took these two new stone tablets and he traveled down the mountain and he got to the bottom The people saw him from a distance because this time they were waiting for him. And so they saw him and they were terrified. They were afraid because you see, Moses, when he was up in the presence of God, he had changed, he was transformed, he looked different. He was physically glowing. I didn't know that we were bioluminescent, but I think this gives a little bit of evidence that when you encounter God, Man, he can do amazing things. And this guy, he began to glow and the people were afraid and they ran. And he called to them. He said, no, hey, wait, 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 where are you going? And they're, they're running and he's like, it's me, Moses. And he had to convince them to come nearer and come nearer and they were still terrified. And so he put a veil over his face and he put it over him, his face, so that the people wouldn't be afraid of the glory of God. And so, when he would go into the tent of meeting, though, he would take off the veil. And he would speak to God, and he would learn from God, and he would have conversations with God, and God would make him glow all the more. And then he'd step out of the tent of meeting, and he'd have to put the veil back on, so as not to scare all the people. Moses glowed because of the presence of God. When I was a teenager, I was 16 years old. I had been away from home for about a year. I was at a boarding school. And while I was living there, a lot had changed in my life. A lot had changed in my family. And this was gonna be the first time I flew home. It had been a long season, a hard one. And as I was preparing to go home. I was nervous and I was afraid. And so I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, do you think you could encourage me? Will you go with me? Will you help me? And I didn't know how he was gonna do and I didn't know what was gonna happen. But that day I got on a plane and I have to be honest, I am an aisle or I'm a window seat kind of gal. Anybody else like the window seat on a plane? Nobody else, oh, there's a few of us, okay. See, I like to look out the window. I like to see the clouds and the blue skies. I like at night to see all the lights below. I like to see the patchwork quilt of farmland and the mountains and the cities. I like to see the view. If I can't have the window seat, my next choice is then the aisle seat. Anybody else like an aisle seat? few of you, okay. We can stretch out our legs as long as the cart with the you know refreshments doesn't hit us. Uh, we have a little bit of elbow room on one side of us. But to be honest with you, and maybe you're like me, I don't really like the middle seat. Anybody else? Anybody here love the middle seat? No, oh, we got a few people, okay. So for me, feels a little awkward. You know, I may not know those two people, I don't know who I'm sitting next to and I feel a little claustrophobic sitting next to two strangers. This particular day that I got on the plane, this was before you could—you uh, had sign seating, so this was a while ago, and you could pick any seat you wanted. And I was one of the first people on the plane. So there were a couple of people before me and then me. And I could have had the pick of the entire plane, quite frankly. But all of a sudden... I found myself go and sit down next to this little old lady in the middle seat. And as I'm sitting down, I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing? I should get up and move. And as soon as I was like, oh, I'm gonna grab my things and I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna go, a whole slew of people came in and I thought, oh oh well, I'm not gonna go get in line with these people now to go find another seat, that's just even more awkward so i stayed in my seat and as the plane began to take off this was also before the days of cell phones and text messages i mean there were cell phones but not like text messages and emails that you were quickly sending off before you you know got into the air this woman she pulled out a book and i you know sneakily looked at the side of it and i saw the word god And so I said very politely, ma'am, what are you reading? She said, The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Have you ever heard of it? I hadn't. I said, no. She said, oh, let me tell you about it. It has been one of the most influential books I have ever read for my walk with the Lord. And that got me intrigued. So she told me about this book and she told me about herself and she asked me about my life and I shared my story. And this woman, she encouraged me. Little did I know that I would never meet Wilma Peterson ever again. And little did I know that this encounter with this woman would last me decades of encouragement. At the end of our flight, she decided to give me her book. This is one of my most prized possessions. She wrote down her phone number. She inscribed it to me. She gave it to me and said, I hope that this encourages your faith like it has encouraged mine. It took me a while to read it. It's written in Old English. It's a little challenging, but man is the content so worth it. You see, it's about a man named Brother Lawrence. He didn't write the book. It's about conversations that were collected and letters that he had written, and after he, he had died, they were compiled together and put into this very small book. He was a man who was really a nobody. He was, he started out as a soldier. He, after he came out of the war, this was the 1600s, he became lame He then went to become a footman, but it says he was so awkward and clumsy and he broke everything, he kind of failed at that. So then at that point, he decided to go and become a monk. He wanted to serve God. And so he entered into the monastery and he had these lofty goals of worshiping God. And he got his assignment, and his assignment was to work in the kitchen. He didn't really have an affinity for working in the kitchen. He wasn't naturally gifted. But nonetheless, that's where he found himself. And so pretty early on, he decided, you know what? I am going to learn to worship God in all circumstances. I am going to invite his presence into everything that I do. I want God to be the end of everything I do. And so this man, before dishwashers, he went and he scrubbed these huge pots and pans. And while he did, he practiced talking to God. And then he would cook meals and he'd practice inviting God to join him. And then he would go and he would go to his prayer time and he noticed that his prayer time was no longer a different time than when he was cooking, that they were the same experience because he was inviting God into his everyday, boring moments. And they became extraordinary as he spent time in God's presence cooking and cleaning and serving and doing all of these things. Eventually his next job after many, many, many years in the kitchen, he fixed sandals because he wasn't able to stand up in the kitchen anymore. He was not an extraordinary man. He was not a saint. He wasn't the high priest. He wasn't anything special, he was just a guy who decided to welcome God into his everyday moments. He became extraordinary because of the presence of an almighty God who rested on him and he learned to have conversation with him day in and day out, all day long. This conversation was a long conversation, it never ended. And you know what? He would tell everybody about what he was doing and he would try to encourage everybody. Hey, you too can do this. You also can practice the presence of God. It is so amazing. In fact, I feel sorry for people that aren't doing it. And he would constantly be encouraging others. But you want to know the thing that got them to change or want what he had? His countenance. When things were busy, when things were hectic, he was calm, he was patient, he was joy-filled, he was so excited about his faith that he, nothing could move him. He was so busy worshiping God in the kitchen that the stress and the hard times and the suffering and all the different things, they didn't phase him. He was able to just rest in God's presence. And it was amazing. You see, he learned something. At the beginning of Genesis, we see that God himself was walking and talking with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. He wanted relationship from the very beginning. He wanted to come down and be with us and talk to us and walk with us all throughout the day. And then we go to Exodus a few chapters before we see the Ten Commandments, this mountaintop experience of Moses, we see God say, I brought you out of Egypt so that I may dwell with you and be your God. He is the God that wants to dwell with us. And then we go and we flip to the New Testament and we see that Jesus came down and he dwelt among us. That he came and when he left for us, he then went and sent his spirit to dwell within us. And as he dwells within us, he wants to illuminate us to become like him. And then in the last chapter of the very last book in Revelation, we see that God, he has said, his place is now to live with us that we are going to be his people and he is going to be our God and we will get to live with him forever. He is the God that desires to dwell with us. And Brother Lawrence, he learned this. He learned that God wanted relationship with us, that he wanted to walk with us, that he wanted to dwell within us and that he didn't want anything to be separated from us in him. But the question is, how do we do it? How do we learn to practice the presence of God, right? It's easy when we're at church, we sing some songs, we maybe read scripture. Maybe if you have a quiet time, we, we sit and we quiet our souls and we, and we listen for God, right? But how do we do it all the other times? How do we make this become something where it's a long conversation with God and not just short ones? I watch YouTube sometimes, anybody else? Nobody, just me, okay. Oh, Caleb apparently does, no he doesn't. <laughs> anyway, so I was watching YouTube and I, I was specifically doing some, some research, just more research on Brother Lawrence and the practice of presence of God to make sure I hadn't missed anything, even though this book has been with me for decades. One of the things that I found was a guy who is, he's is—he's—he's a father, he's a Catholic priest, his name is Father Mike, and he did a whole YouTube video on the practice of the presence of God. And I just loved how he put this. He said there are three things that are important when you wanna practice the presence of God. The first one is you invite. And he said it like this, hey Jesus, you wanna come with, I'm gonna go run some errands, wanna come with? I'm gonna go do my chores, you wanna come with? I'm gonna go to my job, hey Jesus, you wanna come with? Hey, Jesus, Father, Lord, you wanna come with me? But see, here's the thing that he didn't talk about. Jesus has already said, I wanna go with you, can I come? And he is now waiting for us to say, yeah, I want you to come with me. Will you join me? And so we have this opportunity to invite him into our everyday moments. And then the second thing that we do is we gaze upon him. We focus, we pause all the noise. We sit in some quietness in our soul and we focus on our Lord. You know, I talked about this in in my first sermon here, right? fixing our eyes, our perception, remembering the spiritual realm to be focused, we focus on him. And the third thing, maybe the hardest, we talk to him. We just start talking. If you were inviting your best friend along to go to the store with you, what are you gonna say? If you are inviting your best friend to go on a run with you, what are you saying? inviting him to join you what do you say you say what's on your heart you talk about your day you talk about all the things that you're afraid of you know when i got on that plane that's exactly what i did god i'm scared i don't know what to do i haven't been home in a long time will you come with will you encourage me boy did he show up and i know that he will show up for you too for quite some time, I have been working on another writing project, um, specifically on spiritual growth. And when you write a book, you do a lot of research. And there are two studies that I actually want to share with you. The first one came out of the University of Kansas. And it was what they did is they decided to, to see how many hours it takes to go from a casual acquaintance all the way up to a close friend. And you know what? They figured it out. So a casual acquaintance may be somebody that you have maybe just a few minutes with, a few hours, right? Maybe it's a coworker that you're, hi, how's it going? Nice to see you kind of thing, right? But to have a close friend, and we're talking like your best friend, it takes 200 plus hours of intentional, deliberate time. I'm not talking passive time. I'm talking it's like where you and your coworker go out to dinner and have a conversation, 200 plus hours. The second study I wanna share, I found in Psychology Today, it was published there, and it says that for a marriage relationship or a very close friendship, you can think roommates even or parents and children, In order to maintain and feel satisfaction within that relationship, you will spend six plus hours per week to at least maintain that close relationship and continue to grow it. Six plus hours. So I'm not very good at math. That's not my strong suit. But here is what I did. I said, you know, most people, they have about, let's say 15 on average, Wakeful hours, right? That may adjust a little bit. So if you wake up at 7 a.m. and you go to bed at 10 p.m., you have about 15 hours there. Now, maybe you go to bed at 11 and you wake up at 8 or you wake up at 5. You get the point. Let's say, theoretically, you have 15 hours a day. Do you know what 1% of that time is? Nine minutes. And I started thinking about this relationship with God and building my relationship with God in terms of time. Not for the purpose of being legalistic, but for the purpose of what you measure gets man, what what gets measured gets managed, right? I want to be able to measure whether I am growing or not. Because it's so hard, isn't it? You you think you're doing all the right things and you are, but how do you know if you're growing? And so here is what I'd like to propose. I don't know where you're starting out. Maybe you're not even spending 1% of your time with the Lord. That's okay. Today's a great day to start. 1% of our time is nine minutes. 2% is 18. 3% is what, 27. If We want to go crazy and go 10% of our time, that's 90 minutes. If you break down six hours per week that comes to 51 minutes a day my challenge is that maybe you're starting at zero percent okay wonderful this is not about shame this is not about guilt this is not about the past of what you didn't do this is about looking at where you're at today so that you can move forward and move into a new realm of relationship with the Lord so we're going to start with 1%. And then when you get that 1% under your belt, I want you to bump it up 1% and go to 2%. And then when you get 2% underway, I want you to bump it up to 3% and 4% and 5% and on and on and on. Will you work on growing your relationship with God 1% at a time? 1% there's some other things that I would like to recommend to help you grow. First, I have a few book recommendations. This is my favorite, the Bible. You know, nine minutes. You could spend it in that. You could talk to them. You could do all sorts of things, right? You could sing a song. Last week I gave out a list of all the sorts of things you could do. Pick one. Spend a few minutes doing it have a conversation with them, invite them in, invite them with, and then talk to them. The second thing I'd like to recommend is My Heart Christ Home, or sorry, we'll do that in a minute. The Practice of the Presence of God. It's A little hard to read. It's worth the effort. I love this book. I can't recommend it enough. How a Basic, Ordinary Guy Became Extraordinary and Influenced Millions of People just because he practiced God's presence. The next one I have is My Heart, Christ's Home. I love this little book, it's a booklet, It's not even a book. What I love about it is that Robert Boyd Munger, he, he, he takes our life and makes it like a house. And it's about inviting Jesus into your home. And then you travel into the different areas of your home so the library, the kitchen, the dining room, the closet, the bedroom, and you invite him into these different areas of your life and you let him clean up the room, you let him decorate, you let him help you figure out how to make that room comfortable and pleasing and you get to invite him into each area. But it's not just about inviting him as a guest It's about giving him the title to the house and asking him to come and be the owner of it, to do as he wills with it. So those are my book recommendations. They're good ones. I can't recommend them enough. You could spend nine minutes spending time on one of these if you'd like. There's a couple of apps I'd actually like to share with you. The first one is called SoulScape. It's a Christian meditation app. And what you do is you push play. And this woman comes on and she reads or says, I guess, this meditation based on scripture. And you just sit and you close your eyes and you listen. And you listen to what the Lord has for you in those few moments. I have found they average about five minutes. You can take a few minutes and just listen to that. There's another app called Daily Prayer. It's an Anglican app. And what it is, is it has prayer, a morning prayer, an afternoon prayer, an evening prayer, and then like a late evening prayer. And you can choose if you wanna do one or all four. You can have notifications sent to you as well to remind you that, oh, now's a good time to pause what I'm doing and spend time with the Lord. And so they give you a prayer There are scripture reading um, opportunities, so it may be like Psalm 33 or something like that, and it can actually read it to you, which is nice as well. And each morning, afternoon, evening, they're all different. They're not the same. So if you don't catch the morning one, great, go on to the afternoon one. So there's a couple of apps, a couple of book recommendations. You know, there are people all over the world that hear this call to worship, they hear it three times a day. I think of the Jews. I think of the Muslims. They have the minarets call out and say, it's time to worship. It's time to pray. Maybe maybe a tool that you need today, it's just setting an alarm, right? Set an alarm as a reminder. Maybe you just want to set it once a day because you aren't at that point where you want to set it You know, three times a day. Set it once a day just to remind you not to forget to spend time with your Lord and then as you're growing set another alarm and then another and then eventually you're not gonna have to set an alarm there are also other tools that you can use that are reminders and the first one is actually what we talked about with the kids you know how many of you have light switches in your house oh good! I'm so happy well if you have candles you may use those too but every time you took, turn on a light switch, maybe you need to put a sticky note over it to remind you to, to refocus on God, to refocus on your relationship, to maybe talk to him. Put a sticky note over it. Every time you flip it on, let it be a reminder. The last reminder I want to give you is actually this. So I looked, it's not sunflower season. I looked for a big one and I couldn't find a big one, but I found these little ones. Maybe you need to print out a picture of a sunflower and put them everywhere or just grow them all over your backyard or something. But the reason why I'm bringing up a sunflower is this. They are heliocentric. What that means is this. When they are young and immature, do you know what they do? From the time the sun rises to the time it sets, it follows the sun. It does this and its face is oriented towards the sun the entire day. It's a reminder to orient your life and your face towards the sun throughout the entire day. Find yourself a reminder. I don't know what it is, if it's an app or it's a sunflower or it's just a sticky note. I love sticky notes. Remind yourself to invite him in. Remind yourself that he wants to dwell with you. He wants to dwell in you. He wants relationship with you. That's why he came. And spend some time each day in his presence. And I guarantee you, you also will shine and glow and be transformed. Being that this is my last day, I have something I want to read for you. It's not a letter, I promise. Scripture, it's Ephesians 3. It's Ephesians 3, 16 through 19, and it goes like this. This is my prayer for you, North Holland. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through the spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. With that, I'd like to pray. Father, thank you for coming and dwelling amongst us. Thank you for coming down and dwelling in us. Thank you that you provide us examples like Brother Lawrence to encourage us. Thank you for always being ready to go with us. We praise you because you are faithful, because you are good, because you are righteous, and because you love us. Father, I ask that you come and you make your presence known amongst us and that you rest on us, Lord, that everyone who sees us will see you. I ask that you bless each person here with your power, with your presence, with your love, that we will grow 1% better each and every single day, Lord, as we encounter you every day. I ask all this in your holy and precious and mighty name.